Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the game day podcast with me, Sam Adaface, the assistant editor of the Daily Mirror, Darren Lewis and TalkSport's football correspondent, Alex Crook, as Thursday night's drama sets up a right royal weekend in the FA Cup and beyond. Yarmolenko, eight yards out, onside, swept the ball home. His second goal in a week, more emotional scenes, and West Ham on the cusp of their first European quarterfinal in 41 years. Absolutely terrific wins on Thursday night for West Ham United, who are through to their first European quarterfinal since 1981, and a super win for Everton as well. Ten men, but they get the job done. We've got the latest on the Chelsea takeover ahead of uh, the trip to Borough on Saturday, which is live on Talk Sport. And City and Liverpool take a bit of a rest in the title race. Could that be bad news for the FA Cup? All the Premier League fixtures that are going ahead this weekend. We'll also talk about those from Talk Sport. It's the Game Day Podcast. This is Game Day. Yes, so much to come on the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport this week. Alex Crook and Darren Lewis are taking us through all the fixtures. Um, Crookie, I hope you're okay. You had a good week at Cheltenham. You've enjoyed yourself, haven't you? I've noticed it from your Instagram post. You've been having a great time. <laughs> it's the best week of the year. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, halfway through the meet. It's uh, Crookie 2, Bookies nil at the moment. I'll make continue. <laughs> all right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that's the case. Well, that's what you'll tell us anyway, even if that isn't the actual full picture. Uh, Should we try and get a full picture on what's happening at Chelsea? Because we're in a situation now where the bids are closing Friday. So when this podcast has come out, that's the final day for people to make a bid to buy the club. There's lots of contenders now, isn't there? It's very difficult to sort of try and plot a course through all the different members uh, of uh, the business elite, the billionaires club that have floated an interest. Lots of people who are well-known names, Lord Coe, Sebastian Coe, once an Olympic then an MP, big Chelsea supporter, is helping to front a consortium with uh, Sir Martin Broughton, who was in charge of Liverpool when they sold uh, the club from under Hicks and Gillette to FSG. You've got Todd Bowley, his hugely wealthy uh, consortium. Then you've got the, uh, the the owners of the Major League Baseball team, the Chicago Cubs, the Ricketts family, who have confirmed that they are leading a group of investors with one of the world's richest men, the entrepreneur Ken Griffin, who is the richest person to be linked with Chelsea so far. What we can say, I think, about this is that there's a huge amount of interest in the club when actually we thought at one stage it, it wasn't going to be as much of a bidding war as it's turned out to be. 
Yeah, five o'clock on Friday is the deadline that's been set by the bank, uh, the Merchant Bank, Rain, in charge of uh, overseeing this sale. I was listening to you with Simon Jordan this week, and I think he was bang on, uh, not for the first time when it comes to such affairs. This is a, a unique opportunity. As I said right at the start of this process, it, it's not every day, if ever, that you get the opportunity to buy the European champions, and probably uh, for a fraction of the price that they really are worth under normal circumstances. I'm suspicious about the Nick Candy bid. He was linked with uh, joining forces with Todd Bowley and Hanshaw Vice. That isn't happening. He's well, no, he said it's not the case because Jeff Goldstein's also involved in that. And he's a Tottenham fan. He said, I don't want, I don't want Tottenham fans involved in a consortium that I run in the running of Chelsea Football Club. So he's playing this sort of fan game, isn't he? Yeah, and that would worry me, I think, in terms of his... Uh, prospects of actually getting his hands on the club because he is clearly trying to carry favour with the supporters, not least because he signed up Chelsea legend John Luca Vialli to help front his campaign. And that does bring back memories uh, of uh, the Spotify owner when he was trying to buy Arsenal, <laughs> recruiting some of the invincibles. So I, I think Nick Candy looks the most unlikely runner. I think it will probably end up in, in the hands of uh, a largely American consortium. I agree with you. Um, and Thomas Tuchel, I think he's done himself the world of good the way he sort of handled the whole situation. Managers often get put in difficult situations, especially at the moment with the political uncertainty surrounding the world uh, and some of the, uh, the the sports washing that has gone on over the course of the last 10, 20 years. And, and now we're sort of facing up to that. Managers found, find themselves in all sorts of positions having to answer difficult questions. He's actually dealt with it in a very, very good way, actually. He's managed to balance the sort of that sort of navigate the treacherous waters between being too hard on supporters and being uh, political at the right times, not having too much of a go at paymasters, but at the same time being a human as well and, and recognising that there are wider importances in the world apart from football club ownership and, and football itself. So I think he's done himself the world of good. Chelsea didn't do themselves the world of good when they were talking about playing Behind closed doors on Saturday night in the FA Cup quarterfinal, very quickly shot down. They had to withdraw a statement. It was an embarrassing saga, actually, which only lasted five hours, but actually damaged the reputation of the club. And Thomas Tuchel actually, again, hit the, the nail on the head when he said, look, it wasn't my decision. It wasn't uh, the player's decision. And it wasn't a very good decision to try and uh, change that anyway. Um, so, you know, again, he's carrying he's carrying favour, but necessarily handling it a little bit better. Uh, they do take on Middlesbrough on uh, Saturday night. Let's start there, 5.30. It's live on TalkSport. It's the first of four live quarterfinals that TalkSport will be bringing you over the weekend. And uh, Chelsea in a situation where they're taking on a team that are very, very good at home. I've spoken to Chris Wilder on a number of occasions. He's very positive about his team. They did very well, actually, in midweek. Uh, again, they're, they're a good side. Yeah, and there's actually a bit of history and a bit of animosity between these two that I didn't realise until putting together a, a nostalgia piece for game day on the 97 FA Cup final game. I know that you remember fondly Roberto Di Matteo uh, scoring after 42 seconds. There was a game, uh, a, a, a relegation playoff uh, back in uh, the 1980s. Yeah, turned quite Edison nasty Park. at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, uh, Edison Park. We lost 2-0 at Erson Park and then 1-1-0 at uh, Stamford Bridge, but it was like pitch battles afterwards. Exactly. So they called that the Battle of Stamford Bridge. Then, of course, there was a 97 Cup final, uh, the 98 League Cup final. They've met in a Zenith Data Systems Cup final as well. Chelsea won 1-0. Tony DiRigo uh, with the only goal. So there's you a think you'll find Chelsea won them all apart from that relegation playoff. Correct. Um, so there's a bit of spice about this and maybe Middlesbrough without the away fans uh, will feel it's their opportunity to exact revenge. Is that uh, right? Chelsea is, there, is there not any away fans or is it 246? 
well, I think he's been capped, but certainly far less than you would usually anticipate yeah. for this type of uh, FA Cup tie. Um, and they didn't cover themselves in glory for much of the game against Lille in midweek. Chelsea got the job done, but their performance is just a bit stodgy uh, at the moment. And I think Middlesbrough will see this as an opportunity to possibly cause an upset. 12 of Middlesbrough's 16 league wins this season have come on home soil. They're very, very good at home and the crowd get behind them there. And we saw that in full effect when they played Tottenham in the last round and ended up causing a, a bit of a shock. Um, I think look, the game against Lille, they managed the game, didn't they? Look, they conceded a penalty. I don't think it was a penalty in the current laws of the game. You can give it, but it was a very close ricochet, which came back off of an opposition player. Jorginho had his arm almost coming back towards his body. Very strange penalty to give. Um, actually, I think there was probably more of a penalty just before that when Trevor Tralibar came on and was on the pitch for about 13 seconds and tried to give away yet another penalty, which probably wouldn't have been uh, the wisest move. Um, but ultimately, um, they, they got the job done. Great goal from Pulisic. Really good goal from Pulisic. Jorginho having a better influence on games. His passing range is going to be important at the weekend, I think. Yeah, because they're what you would expect Middlesbrough from a Chris Wilder team. They're very organised defensively, uh, as Manchester United found to their cost as the game uh, wore on at Old Trafford earlier in this FA Cup. So it, it might take one of those Jorginho passes uh, like we saw in the closing stage against Newcastle to really break them down. Again, it's the fact that strikers aren't really scoring, isn't it? You know, Timo Werner, I thought, was dreadful in the game against Newcastle at the weekend. Lukaku to me, looks like he'd rather be anywhere else but Chelsea. And under normal circumstances, this would be an opportunity uh, for Lukaku against championship opponents to play his way into form. But it didn't work that way when they took on Plymouth uh, earlier in the season at Stamford Bridge. So, or Luton. Or, or indeed Luton. So I, I think this is going to be a tight game. It may well go into extra time. Yeah, Chelsea have considered in all three of their FA Cup ties so far, all of which have been against lower sides in the pyramid, the Middlesbrough. So Chris Wilder and his team, I'm sure, will fancy at least getting on the score sheet at the weekend. But this is Chelsea's best chance of silverware, isn't it? And ultimately, they can't, they cannot, so they cannot afford to fail against Middlesbrough this weekend. No, because the, the, the league situation is, is fairly secure, isn't it? They're, they're going to finish third, not much higher not any lower either so I think they can afford to focus on this competition of course they're still in the in the Champions League their travel <laughs> limitations are going to be quite interesting in the uh, in the latter rounds depending well, on how say quickly that, but I, I reckon the players through. will just pay for tra- their own travel won't they that's what well, they that do one, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Um, although, although I do quite like the idea of them trying to road trip across Europe in a in a mini in a bus, camper you know, van. Cr- crate yeah. of beer in the back, uh, yeah. as we had at just like the old Tuesday. days, <laughs> just just like the old days. <laughs> but yeah, as I say FA Cup is listen on the face of it, it's a good draw. You know, it, it, away from home against a Championship side, you would fancy your chances of progressing. But they've made heavy water of quite winnable fixtures in this competition so far. Premier League gets underway on Friday night. Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers in action. They get us started this weekend when they take on Leeds United. Leeds United, who got their first win under Jesse Marsh last weekend, although it was in quite chaotic circumstances because they led for large portions of the game, then conceded in the last minute, then scored in the very, very last seconds of the match. That would have done absolute wonders for the confidence of the team and the belief in the manager, I think. Yes, it will. I'd imagine it's been a, a good week's training, but Norwich are poor. We know that. We've been saying that all season long. So yeah. Leeds won't get the same uh, opportunities afforded to them that Generosity. they did in that fixture. Um, Wolverhampton Wanderers 
I think I've said many times, Bruno Large quietly, I think, has been one of the best coaches in the Premier League this season to get them into European contention. Considering that, I think most people agree that Raul Jimenez hasn't been quite the same player since he came back from that horrendous injury. Is a really good training achievement if we're, if we're using a horse racing analogy, as it is Cheltenham week. Um, I think Wolves will win this game. I think it's too early to say that Leeds have turned a corner. I don't think a, a narrow, dramatic victory over Norwich City is enough evidence for me that they're out of relegation danger just yet. No, and Bruno Large's Wolverhampton Wanderers have won, I think, four of the last seven matches in the Premier League. Um, and they had a little bit of a dip, didn't they? And they struggled a little bit against Arsenal twice in a, in a couple of weeks, just a space of a couple of weeks. And that sort of put paid to their hopes of the top four. I mean, almost. Um, you, know, you, you could have sort of forecast it, really, because there was some oafish bloke who kept going on about them finishing in the top four. And then from the moment that happened, it just seemed to tire death, really. I don't know how that how that happened. You have to take some responsibility for that. There'll be Wolverhampton Wanderers fans that basically say the curse of Crook cost them uh, a place in the top four. Are you going to take they, that on your shoulders? I think it's more because they lost their heads against Arsenal in that game, particularly uh, away from Crook, home when, when they led for, for a long time and, and yeah, just tried to tried to go down the dark arts route. Which, which but again, I suppose they do, the, they the point is, is that they're they're better. Uh, they'll be better against a team like Leeds United. You know, Arsenal do pose a problem. They pose a problem for everyone. They even gave Liverpool a problem this week as well. But ultimately, you know, Wolverhampton Wanderers are a good team, and Leeds are still struggling towards the bottom of of the table. It might be that Jesse Marsh actually gets the best out of them after that victory at the weekend, and they've had a week's training with him, probably the best amount of time that they've had uh, with him since he he took over. But ultimately, you know. You can't change the pieces on the chessboard. They're still the same players that they've got available to him for selection. Yeah, and this is a tough fixture because what we know about Wolves is that their success this season has been built around defensive solidity. They're not particularly pleasing to watch. Would I go and buy a ticket for a game at Molyneux? Probably not. But I wouldn't sell you one. <laughs> I think they would. I get on quite they well. They wouldn't. Curse a crook. Guys curse, a, curse a crook. You did. You used to get on well with them. <laughs> but I think they're um, they're going to be too good for Leeds, and um, I could see them probably winning the game to nil. I think that would be if that would be my prediction. Well, Leeds have lost eight of their fourteen away matches in the Premier League this season. They actually were quite good away from home uh, last campaign. Game day kicks off on Saturday uh, with the game that uh, I think a lot of us are quite interested in. Really, um, Aston Villa against Arsenal, twelve thirty Saturday. Steven Gerrard's team haven't really got anything to play for now between now and the end of the season, but they can stop Arsenal. They can stop Manchester United from reaching in the top four by beating them, can't they? I mean, they've got fixtures that may decide the destination of those European places. And indeed the title, because doesn't Steven Gerrard take on Manchester City on the final day of the season? I think and they've got to play, to play, they still Liverpool, got to play Liverpool as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I think Steven Gerrard is going to have quite a big say on Quite a lot of issues between now and the end of the season. Um, I'm there on Saturday alongside Mickey Gray for game day. Really looking forward to it. Love going to Villa Park. I think it's one of the most iconic venues uh, to go and watch football and certainly to go and work out as well. I did the Arsenal game in midweek. You say they caused Liverpool problems. They didn't really. I mean, they, they kept them Martin at bay for a long a period. Field. Yeah, he, he was and actually exposed um, Trent Alexander-Arnold Alexander defensively. Yeah. Uh, no question about that. But for all that, they didn't really create too many clear-cut chances barring the one that uh, Odegaard probably should have stuck away after a, a mistake. Liverpool. Yeah, everyone says that's a great save from Allison. He did well. Was it? Was it a great save or it was a terrible miss? Well, I think Lacazette could have put the ball in the net himself, um, and, yeah. and showing maybe he's lost a bit of that number nine instinct by actually teeing up his teammate. And certainly, Martin Odegaard should have scored, and that was probably the turning point. But 
listen, the game told us what we need, what we already knew, really. Arsenal have improved under Mikel Arteta. There's no question about that. But they still struggle uh, against the top sides. I think that's all six games now against teams uh, in the top five or above. They've lost. Um, they, they've probably got enough winnable fixtures against lesser sides that it won't be a problem. They only need 28 points from their last 11 games in the Premier League to be absolutely guaranteed a top four finish. But this is a tricky game because you say Villa have got nothing to play for. They've got some match winners. Felipe Coutinho on his day, I think, could cause problems uh, for Arsenal. And Steven Gerrard, as we know from his playing days, is, is ultra competitive, so he won't give Arsenal an inch. In fact, I think he'd probably quite enjoy putting a spanner in the works. And it's always interesting when a team have been on a, a winning run, as Arsenal have, and they lose a game. How do they react to that? And I do think there's a different pressure now. They've got the youngest average starting eleven in the Premier League. All of a sudden, everybody's telling them the top four is yours to lose. That might just change the mindset slightly. Yes. Uh, what you're basically saying is, is that they're mentally going to crumble. Now the pressure is on their shoulders. Uh, but that's usually Spurs, isn't it, that face that sort of circumstance. It's usually a very Spursy thing to do to spend your time in the top four, or even a Leicester thing to do, to spend all your season in the top four and then on the final few days of the season end up dropping out. Manchester United will be lurking. So will Tottenham. Um, I, I don't trust any of those teams. In fact, I do trust Arsenal more than the others because they've put a good run of form uh, together. I thought that, that one of the issues that they're going to have is when they do play a team like Aston Villa is they can see goals. They do concede goals, Arsenal. I know that Ramsdale was probably at fault for both those two goals against Liverpool on uh, Wednesday night, but he's had a very good impact on the team overall. And defensively, they have improved, but they still concede goals, as was shown in the game against Watford when they conceded two goals in a, in a game which actually Watford had several chances. Aston Villa have got Ollie Watkins, they've got Danny Ings, they've got Philippe Coutinho, they've got Maddie Cash marauding down the right-hand side, Dina flinging in from set pieces. They aren't going to be an easy team to knock over, that's for sure. They've got, they've got potency. And the, and the other issue that Arsenal have got, and it was exposed last night because of the players that they let go in January, is the lack of options off the bench when they were chasing yeah. the game. All they could really do was bring on Eddie Nketiah, who for me is a mid-table Premier League player at best, certainly not someone who's going to score goals to get you into the top four. And I did think it was a, a bit ironic, Mikel Arteta whinging about fixture congestion after the game. He's not happy that uh, due to television, this uh, Saturday game is, is kicking off at 12.30 because they played on Wednesday night. Arsenal haven't had to play many midweeks at all this season. Nobody How can forced you talk them. about fixture no, congestion. They're not even any European competition. Exactly. And nobody forced them to get rid of Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who would have been a good squad player at this stage of the season, and send him on loan to Roma. So I thought that was poor from Mikel Arteta. And I don't think he'll have too much sympathy from anywhere, really. Even Arsenal fans, I think, saw through that. Yeah. Um, okay. Just a quick word on, on that game, because I know you did the Arsenal-Liverpool game for TalkSport International. The Mane dive? What did you think? Well, I think he should have been booked. Yeah, I think it was a dive. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Andre Marana tried to let the game flow. You know, he, he wasn't particularly card happy. Um, I think there's a, a history of bookings and red cards. Well, whenever Granit Xhaka plays, but particularly... Yeah, got a bit of criticism on Liverpool Mariner for the way he refereed the game. I mean, Keith Hackett in particular saying he wasn't even up to speed uh, and should never have been given the game in the first place. Is that fair? I didn't see it like that, I have to say. I, th I think he should have booked Sadio, Sadio Mane, but I think, by and large, a lot of those 50-50 challenges that can result in cheap free kicks and a stop-start 
game, he didn't really fall into that trap. So no, I, I'm not sure I do agree with, with Keith Hackett on this one. You know me, I'm never one not to criticise referees when I get the opportunity. Oh, oh yes, we know. Uh, okay, uh, thank you very much to you. I know you're going to leave us now. We're going to concentrate on the rest with Darren, who's uh, going to build up to all of Sunday's action. And we've got three quarterfinals from the FA Cup to look forward to and a couple of key Premier League games as well. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Darren Lewis joins us now. And uh, I just want to quickly ask you about what you thought about the England squad initially. Uh, Marcus Rashford, a straightforward decision, according to Gareth Southgate, not to include him. I don't think there'll be too many arguments about that. Sancho maybe not um, being in is more of a surprise, bearing in mind that his form has certainly picked up over the last few weeks. Mark Gurhey, congratulations to him. First call up. And Tammy Abraham, quite legitimately, uh, in as the second striker. What were your overriding thoughts? I think as far as Harry Maguire is concerned, I'm a little bit surprised because he would be the first to admit that he's not been at his best. Now, <clears throat> I don't say any of this out of disrespect for Harry Maguire because we know he's a good player and he's had a very difficult season. But I think Gareth Southgate talked about picking players on form. And if you're going to do that, then surely it would be the case that as big a scalp and a highest profile a name he might be, he doesn't merit a place in the England squad. So I think a lot of people would be a bit surprised yeah, by he, that. He, he did sort of uh, address that in the press conference, uh, Gareth Southgate. And when he said, actually, you know, a lot of people, I'm going to get beaten over the head with this because um, you, for, in one circumstance, I'm saying that form is really important. And in another circumstance, I'm saying you know, that Harry is a valuable part of our squad and he's part, a core part of our team. And we have to remember that the World Cup coming up, there's not many warm-up games between now and then. So, you know, there's more nuance to it than just, you know, the binary, he's playing well, so he's in the team. Basically, you know, he is without doubt one of our most talented centre-backs. We are going to need him during the World Cup, so there's no reason to leave him out now. And in fact, he said it never came under consideration. Um, it, this could be in a case of them putting an arm around him and saying, look, come and play yourself in a form with England, couldn't it? No, I think this is us moving the goalposts, um, in, you know, Southgate moving the goalposts, because whatever you say about, you know, I might get hit over the head and you explain yourself away, the fact is that you've made uh, almost a ruling, if you like, and then because it suits, you've changed your the terms, if you like, of reference. And there'll be a lot of players who will say, well, hang on a minute. What about, say, Fikayo Tomori? How would he feel having done well 
so far this season and seeing an out of form Harry Maguire get in there it is still picking players on reputation and on the basis of what you've done for England in the past now yeah that's okay to be loyal it's okay to be loyal I've got no issue with that as such um but then you cannot then go on saying I'm only picking players on form because that's clearly not the case yeah, I mean, he did say it's not the 100 metres, so therefore you don't just look at the fastest time and then pick the best and, and put them in the team. It's slightly different to that when you're building a football team, you have to take into, into consideration other things, what the team needs for balance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He mentioned Fick, actually. Uh, talked about how well he'd been doing and certainly one that is on the radar. Mentioned Max Kilman as well uh, and, and discussed that he was close to the squad, uh, but was delighted for Mark Gurhey. Um, obviously, Crystal Palace playing Everton this weekend. Gurhey's going to be involved in that 12.30 Sunday live on talk sport palace making great strides but everton winning in dramatic circumstances late on thursday night despite the sending off of alan in another controversial decision we'll get to that very shortly but a very well taken goal at the end of what was a terrible football match against newcastle yeah really well taken goal dominic calvert louis coming off the bench to set it up for alex Iwobi and the 10 men of Everton, it has to be said, beating uh, Newcastle, who possibly became a bit complacent once Everton went down to 10 men. Big, big result for Frank Lampard. I, I was quite struck by the work rate and the industry uh, of the Everton side. It wasn't pretty, but it doesn't need to be pretty. Those points probably are the most valuable of their season so far, and they show that the players are playing for him. Now, listen, I'm not one to bat... Um, referees over the head very often. <laughs> uh, however, uh, <laughs> how can VAR Stuart Atwell deem that there was enough in uh, the challenge by Alan to overturn a yellow card when the same man failed to overturn a sending off or recommend a sending off in a game on Saturday when Luis Diaz was assaulted by Robert Sanchez? Please explain that to me because that has got the consistency of lumpy custard. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I can't defend Stuart Atwell at all. I would never seek to. I've seen him uh, take charge of games and he's a, a very inconsistent referee. He's somebody who sometimes is uh, blown by the prevailing wind. He makes very bizarre decisions and... He's a favourite of the PGMOL, but I think there are lots of reasons. It's uh, terrible. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But he was fast-tracked into the system. They've persisted with him, um, even when he's made mistakes. That's okay. Again, you know... If, of course, if, of course. You don't throw people overboard at the first sign of trouble. But is he improving? Is his decision-making improving? Is his consistency improving? No, it's not. No, uh, that is completely true. Um, what it will do is give Everton confidence going into this game against Crystal Palace in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. I wonder, though, if it's a little bit of a distraction for Everton, bearing in mind the precarious situation they're in in the Premier League. Yes, it's lovely to go to Wembley and have a day out, but ultimately, history tells you that it's usually one of the big clubs that ends up, uh, they are a big club, but one of the big clubs in terms of the ones that are performing regularly at the top of the Premier League uh, in recent years that win the FA Cup. Up. So is it really worth them putting all their energies into it? I suppose the other argument is that if you can build a bit of momentum and get some form behind you, then you could save yourself anyway. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think if you think about 
West Ham's result against Sevilla, you know, if their attitude had been, well, they've won it six times. Um, true, true, true. And, and our squad is really stretched and we really are pushing for a place in the top four. We may as well not go for it and play the kids. Uh, but you never know. You really do never know. And I look back, at, I think it was 2013, Wigan against Man City in the final. Yeah. I mean, it looked like a license to print money. Not that I would condone gambling. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but Wigan came out on top. So you never can tell. It, one year, it might just be your year. You might just be that team. That Interesting that you chose 2013. That was also the year that Wigan got relegated, uh, which might not be as good an omen. <laughs> Frank Lampard. Yeah, 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 you're right. But, <laughs> but, but I would say this because I, I, I mean, it is a very good point that you make. But I look back at Portsmouth, I covered their FA Cup win all the way to the final. I used to cover them on a regular basis at the time. Mm. And even now, I say to Portsmouth fans, and Crook uh, w- would probably agree with me on this, would you take staying in the Premier League over winning that season's FA Cup? And not one oh. Portsmouth fan has ever said to me, I would take staying in the Premier League. No, and well, we, we all worked in Portsmouth and we had that sort of period where we were... Um, 2008 we went to the cup final Crookie and I remember we don't remember much about the game really to be honest with you because we had such a great afternoon and then the, subsequently you know other semi another final in 2010 as well which was a great ride to to go on so yes that those occasions do bind you um, Crystal Palace as we mentioned before they've done really well recently if you look since that third round win against Millwall they've only lost to Liverpool and Chelsea really sort of solidifying their place in the Premier League table, sort of like the mid-table ranks. They've obviously put together some great um, runs and they've got some talented players. I really like Tyreek Mitchell at left-back. I think he's played very well and was unlucky actually not to be included in the England squad. Michael Elise, who I think some people were thinking might be in the England squad this time around, actually ends up being called up for the French under-21 side, sort of giving us an indication that he may end up playing for France internationally in the future. Really talented boy. And, you know... It is an opportunity for one of these two teams to enjoy a Wembley excursion because one of them will be going in the semi-finals. That is for sure. Uh, Manchester City will feel that they can get there too. After they finished with Palace and Everton on Sunday, attention will switch to St Mary's where Southampton, who uh, City drew with earlier in the season and in fact had a real sort of bit of trouble with after drawing with Palace as well. Palace and Southampton actually caused City more problems than most over the course of the the campaign. More frustration for City at the weekend or is this something they can knock off quite easily, do you think? Um, No, I think the City are going to come through this. Um, They are too good, too classy. Southampton, obviously, uh, have had a wonderful run, but there just seems to be a few signs that some of the players are flicking through their uh, travel brochures uh, and uh, getting the flip-flops out. Whatever they do, though, don't go down to the ferry port and try and get on a ferry because you won't be going anywhere. (laughs) You know, head straight for the airport. Make sure... Airport. Airport, lads. Airport. Um, but no, I mean, City now know what they've got to do. Um, and I, I think as far as they're concerned, they know how to win this competition. They're, they've got that depth of squad. And, you know, I think they drew against Palace, but they did not play badly. I was in the Arsenal-Liverpool uh, press conference and someone asked Jurgen Klopp about the fact that, oh, don't you think they need a striker? Do you think they regret it? And he really did shoot the questioner to pieces and said, look, they were fabulous. Are you telling me that because they created 
chances that didn't go in that he's doing something wrong. Don't be silly. And he's absolutely right. City are fine. I think they'll win. And I think they'll be formidable in the latter stages of this competition. That being said, they obviously will buy a striker in the summer as well, won't they? They'll spend a gazillion pounds on Erling Haaland. But to the point of asking the manager, Jurgen Klopp, an arrival manager about that was a strange thing to have done. Uh, Pass and Hotel's team, just effective, aren't they? Especially at home. They've only lost three of 15 league matches at home. So it's not an easy place to go. No, it's not. He's turned that place into a fortress and that's a big part of the reason why they haven't been in relegation trouble so far this season. I think Wolves beat them. Uh, they lost the other day. Who did they lose to the other day very recently because their record did until... They lose to Watford recently as well. Watford, that right? the one. Uh, their, their record had been very good. And Hassan Hoodle's got them very solid defensively, particularly when you consider they lost Yannick Vestergaard at the start of the season. Um, but he's got them well organised. They could do with scoring more goals. Breyer's done well. Che Adams has done well. But they need somebody who's going to be able to comfortably get into double figures. But they've fallen away a bit, as I say, in the Premier League. They might see this as a free hit, but you don't get free hits against men. Well, you do and you don't in so much as yeah. City are going to win this. FA Cup weekend is about to start and unfold on top four. Don't anyone ever tell me that the FA Cup isn't special. It's still there. It's still romantic as any. Here come Middlesbrough. It's Coburn. Oh, what a goal! Josh Coburn puts Middlesbrough in front. Werner plays it in. Lukaku on the stretch. And Chelsea lead for the first time. Towards Mateta. It's 2-1 Crystal Palace. Rondon has his second and Everton have finally seen off the challenge of Boreham Wood. Armando Broja, Southampton's top scorer, wheels away in celebration. And Manchester City lead by two goals to nil here. Jack Grealish. It has been a season of shocks in the FA Cup. Are we in place to witness another here? Back for Spence. Nottingham Forest 4. Leicester City 1. And Liverpool finally have the lead, and it's Diego Jota. The FA Cup, the original and the best. Sunday evening, I'll be doing this one, Nottingham Forest against Liverpool. Uh, live on Talk Sport. I'll be doing it for the television, actually, but Nottingham Forest already got rid of Arsenal and Leicester in the mm-hmm. FA Cup. And you talked about strength in depth and squad and, and, and the fact that Manchester City could change a number of players. Well... Liverpool can do that too now because they've got a very deep set of resources, haven't they? They really do. Um, I was at the Arsenal game on Wednesday night and uh, (laughs) 10 minutes into the second half, uh, Diogo Jota scores and uh, Jürgen Klopp decides, you know what, I'm going to take you off, I'm going to take Luis Diaz off. Who shall I bring on? Oh, Firmino and Mohamed Salah. (laughs) Mikel Arteta's going... I don't even have two senior players on my bench. <laughs> Honestly, it was simply frightening to watch. And I think psychologically for Arsenal, it, you know, those defenders who might have just been feeling a little bit tired suddenly had to find another burst of energy in their legs that they just couldn't find. And it was only a matter of time before Firmino scored. Um I think they'll make changes again. I think they've also got Harvey Elliott to bring in, Curtis Jones to bring in, Kanate could come in, um, Quiva Callagher. I don't think there are any more doubts about him if he were to play in this competition, having won the Carabao Cup. I just think as far as Liverpool are concerned, 
The reason why they are competing on all fronts is their depth, their recruitment. And yep. Forest great, but Forest will be green up against Liverpool. Oh, oh, oh. Did you say Forest will be green against Liverpool? I think. Green, you know what I was trying. I know to. what you. I know what you're trying to do. The <laughs> tricky trees, though, have won eight of their past nine games at home at the City Ground. Yeah, eight of their last nine at home, uh, and they've scored at least twice in their last seven home matches in all competitions. I think actually that's now eight in all competitions. Uh, so they've, they're on a particularly good run, and Liverpool can see goals in these matches where they've changed the back four, haven't they? I mean, you look when they're bringing Simakas and Milner right back and then they play Canate and Gomez or Canate and Matip or whatever. It's never as strong as their first choice back line. Um, they, I think Shrewsbury, Cardiff and Norwich all scored, didn't they, in the previous rounds of this mm. competition? In fact, they did, yes. Uh, so there's, there's every chance, actually, that Nottingham Forest can land at least a glove on uh, a Liverpool this weekend. If not, and do you know this is the first time I think they've played in the FA Cup since Hillsborough as well? It might be quite an emotive occasion, actually. Yeah, absolutely. I think that'll be. Uh, I wonder if they might find some way to mark that respectfully. I think um, they will. I would have thought they will, yeah. Because it's, it's, it's not, we're not near the anniversary yet, are we? But I mean, the two clubs being involved in the FA Cup, I mean, it would make sense to do that. And there won't be anyone at either club that it will, you know, that the fixture will be lost on as well. And I think there'll be a, uh, maybe it might just be, yeah, no, no I could see a, a scenario where they might just do something respectful to mark the occasion. In terms of the football, um, Forest, I think we've learned now not to write Forest off after what they did against Arsenal and what they've done since then. One defeat, Sam, in their last 14 games, winning 10 and drawing three. Um, and they've scored, what is it, uh, nine goals in their last three matches at home. So I think they're not going to be any slouch whatsoever. It obviously does depend on what team they play. But, I mean, Steve Cooper's got them ready to run for their lives. So I, I would imagine that Liverpool will maybe look at a video of the Arsenal game just to warn that second string not to be complacent. Okay, Tottenham against uh, West Ham is Sunday, 4.30, and West Ham United. Um, in the last uh, few minutes for us, but I mean, you're probably listening to this on Friday or, or Saturday morning, uh, it, you know, the last few hours, even then, have just beaten Sevilla to get into their first European quarter final uh, since 1981. And I must admit, you know, like I did a, a little prediction video uh, for a betting company this week in which I said I thought West Ham would win the game, but there will be hardly any goals in the match. And it, it, I think it was pretty predictable it was going to go that way because they don't score too many away from home, Sevilla. They don't concede that many, but West Ham don't score that many either. And, you know, one nil perfect result to get them to extra time. Now, look, I thought when they got to extra time, they were terrific. There was no, bearing in mind they've got a small squad. They've played a lot of games this season. They've had the extra burden of European football to go into extra time and boss Sevilla. I thought that was really impressive. You know, ahead of this tie, I thought this would be a bridge too far for West Ham. Uh, they've been fantastic this season, but their squad is stretched. Sevilla um, ahead of the first leg, they were second in the Spanish league behind Real Madrid. They were going great guns. They had a terrific defensive record and I just couldn't see it being done. But in the first leg, they were really good. And in the second leg, they were exceptional with their work rate, their, their industry, their creativity. Mikel Antonio was fantastic up front. Yarmolenko's come up again, second goal in as many games. I mean, a terrific story as far as us newspaper men are concerned. And I just think West Ham now, you just can't write them off at all. They've 
building up a fantastic team spirit. And it, I don't know where this ends. Oh, look, it may not end until they get to the final, which will be, funnily enough, in Seville. And uh, it's one of those things where you just thought to yourself, well, it's all written in the stars for Sevilla to go on and, and win it again for a seventh time in like 16 years or whatever it is. They've been so fantastic um, because it's in their backyard. The final is in their backyard, but it hasn't turned out that way. They were knocked out uh, tonight. And bearing in mind that, uh, you know, look, Andre Yarmolenko has been around for a while at West Ham United. He's signed in July 2018 at some hefty cost. He's only started 16 Premier League matches during at the time that he's been in the club. He's had injury issues. And of course, the latest issues have taken complete all of his focus and he hasn't been um, able to compete or train or be around the place for a little while. They gave him time off, etc. Because, you know, being the Ukrainian captain, he, he's felt the issues that the country has had, obviously incredibly keenly, as everybody is associated with, with the country. In fact, everybody's probably felt it keenly, but obviously his family is intrinsically involved in it. He has scored twice in two games. He hadn't scored twice. I mean, I can't remember the last time he scored in consecutive matches. This is a guy, only other goal this season came against Rapid Vienna in an almost a dead rubber in November. This is an absolutely outstanding story, isn't it? I mean, it's almost as if it's, you know, some sort of godlike figure has written this narrative where, you know, Ukraine represented by their strapping captain are, are in the spotlight, are determined to remain in the sporting spotlight because of, you know, these these wonderful moments of fortune. It, it's just... It's a brilliant story. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful tale, and good. I'm so pleased for him. It was, his reaction so understated as well because he he knows the wider issues are more important. It was brilliant. I thought. I totally agree. I think that the Europa League often throws up um, a really heartwarming story. Eintracht Frankfurt a few seasons back got all the way to. I think it was a semi-final, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they got knocked out on penalties by um, Ch- 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 Chelsea. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, that was the one. <laughs> I thought you'd remember that. Um, but th- this is a, a terrific story. West Ham, a great story. David Moyes, the resurgence, the reinvention of David Moyes is a terrific story. And I think David Moyes has found the right way to manage Yarmolenko. He's not somebody who gives you consistency when you play him from the start, but he's a terrific impact player. And I just wonder if football is proving the perfect respite from his difficult personal situation that all of us know about um, away from football uh, because he is somebody who is just, he's benefiting from the love, from the club, from the manager, from you saw the reaction from his teammates after he scored. It's a terrific, terrific story. Um, and I think as far as West Ham are concerned, Again, we know football players want to be find a reason to keep going. And this could be the thing that helps them to propel them all the way to the final. Never know. They take on uh, Tottenham on Sunday uh, in a Premier League game. It kicks off at 4.30 and we already know the result. We're, we're very fortunate in this country to have a team like Tottenham that's so reliable that they basically tell us what is going to happen next. Because dating back to February the 13th, the last eight games have gone like this. Lost. One. Lost. Can I do the Can what? I do the hokey cokey today? Can you do the hokey cokey? <laughs> yeah, so I'm sure Lucy can find some sort of music. Do you want to do it? Lucy's a big Tottenham fan. She will love the fact that we're taking the mic here. Uh, Lucy, go, go, give us a little bit of music. Here we go. Uh, we put the lost 
in and then the one out lost win lost win shake it all about we do the spursy cokey and we turn around and that's what it's all about hey yeah um yeah so lost win lost win lost win lost win lost win so this weekend darren it's going to be a loss yes it is it is so congratulations to west ham for their latest victory away from home um, um Harry Kane's done very well, hasn't he? He scored a great goal the other night as well, I thought. Really well taken. He missed a couple of chances, actually, in that match. But he seems to really have found his mojo in the second half of, of, of the season. I mean, it's his worst ever scoring season at this stage in the Premier League since his breakthrough. I mean, he's never had a season like this, even in that first season. So it's good to see him back scoring again. Yeah, I mean, listen, I've never doubted Harry Kane. I think it, sometimes we, we can be very, very harsh in our industry. Um, and I think as far as um, Kane is concerned, he's human. He had a disappointment in the summer and it took him a while to get over it. The club has been in a state of flux. He's been unhappy about that. Um, they brought in a manager that didn't suit him. They can't defend to save their lives. And yet he is still bailing Spurs out. He's never lost his quality. I've said to you on this podcast, you know, People rave about him being the best in the world and the this and the that. And then when it comes to a club wanting to buy him and Spurs saying, all right, £150 million, everyone's, oh, is he really worth that? And that really annoys me. It really, really annoys me because this guy is pure gold. Um, Shall we move on to Leicester versus Brentford quickly? Um, Leicester-Brentford is two o'clock on Sunday. Let's be nice about this fixture because it actually doesn't mean anything because neither of these two teams are probably going to get they're not going to get relegated they're not going to get into the top half this is a nothing fixture congratulations to Leicester who have got into the Europa Conference League quarter finals I think um, they beat Wren tonight but the good news for that is, is that Wesley Fafana um, has scored on his return which is great and Brendan Rodgers is very happy about the fact that he was back they picked up another couple of injuries actually in that game as well so I read I didn't see it I'm going to be honest I did not see that game uh, but apparently they did very well so well done to them um, we, you'll get excited about the Conference League finals when, when someone gets there won't you, you, you will you Maybe not. Okay. Um, but Ivan Tony back scoring goals again. All five of the goals that he scored in the fixtures against Norwich and Burnley certainly helped them move away from the relegation zone. But these two sides have drawn 12 Premier League games between them this season. It could be another all-square game, I think, possibly. It could be. The only thing about it is that Ivan Tony is in terrific form since he's come back. Yes, yes. Some people might forget he's been away for quite some time. There was that video in which he was a little bit disrespectful about the club um, and he had to pay his penance. But since he's come back, a hat-trick in the first game, scored again against Burnley. A game I didn't expect Brent, uh, Brentford to win. I thought Burnley would win that game but they were terrific in that match. And I wonder if the difference in this game might just be Christian Eriksen because his range of passing is improving Tony as a player. And I, I think that also from dead ball situations, he, he might be the difference. Yes, Leicester looked better with, for the return of Wesley Fofana, but you know there were four games in a row that having won, they went to Arsenal and they were very limp and very lackluster. And um, I think, again, I think they might, they might have one eye on the beach as well. I, I take Brentford to win this one. I think they might be able to provide a little bit of an upset. 
Okay, and we've got uh, lots of games this weekend. At the, uh, the the quarterfinals of the FA Cup take centre stage. We've got Aston Villa against Arsenal, which kicks off uh, game day on Saturday. And then 5.30, it's Middlesbrough against uh, Chelsea. And then Sunday is complete for wall-to-wall FA Cup football. So make sure you join us on TalkSport for that. Um, before we go, um, I think both of us want to pay tribute to someone that we've worked with alongside over the course of uh, the last, well, probably 15 years for me, probably longer for you, uh, Darren. Um, but, um, you know, we sat here tonight and actually we, we sort of delayed our start to recording because we were talking about the passing of Paul Jiggins. Uh, I know that you in particular were very, very emotional about this earlier on. Uh, it's a, I mean, it's a complete shocking incident in which we've lost someone who was not only great fun and, and and had a great warmth but was a brilliant brilliant journalist as well yeah he absolutely was they often say that us journalists should never become the story um but you know I, I, there will not be a journalist who works in our industry who will not have been affected by the passing of uh, Jigo as we affectionately knew him he was uh, forget about journalists for a second he was a, a brilliant man he was kind, he was honest, he was generous. Um, I, I tweeted earlier that he loved life, he loved people, he was very much a people person. And he had time for everyone. He was a genius uh, with it, with the pen, with his laptop, you read any of his match reports and his intros are always funny, always snappy. He could conjure something up that would make you crack up within a few seconds of an incident taking place. He was a genuine red top man and he was a genius. And we've been on many, many trips abroad. We've had loads of fun together. Um, and I, I just know how devoted a family man he was. And my thoughts are with them because, you know, we're all, we've been robbed of a truly, truly great, journalist but a, a wonderful wonderful man as well a truly great man too yeah and uh, obviously his family feeling it, it hard tonight and also his colleagues as well you know i've seen a lot of people who work closely with him who have uh, really been rocked by what's happened today I, I will always remember those trips and i think you were on quite a few of them as well when we were following Maurizio pochettino and spurs in the europa league to <laughs> four corners of uh, of Europe, weren't we? We were going up to Tromso, to Norway, the Arctic Circle on a Thursday night. We went to Moldova. I don't know if you ever remember that one. In Sheriff Tiraspol, we went there. And, uh, you know, he was always a great company on trips like that. You know, wherever wherever you were in the world, if you bumped into Jigo, you knew you were going to have a smile on your face. So rest in peace, fella. That That is for sure. Uh, right. Thank you very much for staying up late with us uh, tonight to do the podcast. We appreciate it. Lovely to see you. Uh, and um, listen, thank you very much for downloading and listening to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. We'll be back on Monday morning when you... In fact, no, Monday afternoon. We're going to do. We're going to record on Monday morning, aren't we? Because there's lots of football late into the night. So we'll be recording on Monday morning and that will be out at Monday lunchtime for you to consume at your leisure. Thank you very much for tuning in. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. 
Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 